0: This podcast is brought to you by the HSP World Mastery Program, dedicated to inspiring and empowering HSPs. Hi, and welcome to the HSP World Podcast. With each episode, we invite a guest with the HSP trait to have a conversation about a burning HSP-related question they have. We're not coaches or therapists. We're HSPs holding space with you. I'm one of your hosts, Thomas, and your other hosts are
1: Robin and Rain. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the HSP World Podcast. With us today, we have Andy. Hi, Andy. Hi, Robin. How are you doing?
2: I'm pretty good. Yeah, I'm, it's a nice day where I am, and <laughs> so I'm, I'm feeling good.
1: That's good to hear. Thanks for joining us. Maybe you can get us started by mentioning a little bit about your HSP story, how you found out about having the trait.
2: Sure. But before I do, I just would like to well say hi to Rain and, and Thomas and disclose that I'm really happy to be on this podcast that I've listened to so many times. <laughs> so thank all of you for this podcast.
0: It's great to have you, Andy.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So yeah, my highly sensitive journey began about five years ago when a friend of mine asked, had I heard of the highly sensitive trait? And I hadn't. So she loaned me a book, the Elaine Aaron book, which I promptly thumbed through and went, no, this is not for me. But (laughs) the ideas (laughs) did percolate. Yeah, I, I really had that reaction of like, what? I'm not sensitive. How dare you? But I did (laughs) let the ideas percolate. They kind of stuck in the back of my mind. So when about three months ago, another friend brought up the idea again, I considered it. And I took the quiz, which I aced, and realized, yes, I am a highly sensitive person. And I realized the many ways that, yeah, understanding this trait and viewing my past and present life through these new HSP lenses is really helpful. So there's a little bit of my HSP journey.
1: Cool. It's funny. We don't usually mention that, you know, this kind of adverse reaction that you could have to first finding out that, or first hearing the suggestion that you're highly sensitive. But now I do remember, to be honest, that was my first reaction <laughs> when someone sent me a quiz and they we're like, Hey, maybe this applies to you. And I was like, what do you mean? So uh, it, does, it does happen sometimes. <laughs>
2: how far we've all
1: come, right? Andy, can you let us know what your question is today?
2: Yeah, my, my question, my burning HSP question is, <laughs> how does this trait affect someone who is training to be or is already in a helping profession? I myself trained to be a music therapist and so my life is sort of equal parts a helping professional and musician which yeah as it turns out is uh, as i learn more about the hsp trait is is a really good fit so yeah my that's my question is how does this trait can it be helpful for and can it perhaps provide challenges to someone in the helping profession
0: so a helping profession is coaches, therapists, what else? Right.
2: So I'm thinking of helping professions as anyone in a career that provides health whether that be psychological, physical, uh, emotional, spiritual so that you know a, a therapist, a social worker, doctor, nurse, pretty pretty wide ranging definition for helping Mm. professional. Great.
0: Thank you. Thank you for that.
3: That's a great question, Andy. It's a nice extension
1: of a theme that you'll see come up a lot for HSPs. There's all sorts of forums and articles about like, what are the best and worst professions for HSPs? And I think most of those forums and articles come to the conclusion that there is no one job that is best suited to an HSP. There are some that would probably be unequivocally difficult, but, you know, even things that you wouldn't expect, like, like being a salesperson or something uh, under the right conditions, those can be good for, for HSP. So yeah, I think the bigger question is, you know, what, what is it is in each profession, and in this case, helping professions that would be suited to an HSP. And how does the profession itself and then also the current form that it's taking, how, how is that, you know, better or worse for HSPs? I think Elaine Aaron, I think it may actually be in the HSP, the workbook for HSPs, where she talks about how, ironically, a lot of the professions that should, you know, on paper seem just tailor-made for an HSP, like any of the helping professions and other human-oriented professions like teaching or maybe even HR, things that would be ideal for an HSP given current iterations of it, either just systemic realities, educational or licensing demands, things like that, or the pace and the uh, volume of work that some people might be given. Ironically, a lot of these professions now are not great for HSPs. So I think that'll be one distinction that could be helpful to make is like, there's the job, and then there's all the conditions surrounding the job.
0: Robin, you're speaking to
1: overwhelm. Yeah, in part, it could be. It could be values as well. Right? Oh, like, I right. know that's okay. something that comes up sometimes in in discussions of HR, but I, I wonder, I don't know if it would be relevant in the helping professions too, but sometimes, you know, well, yeah, I think maybe I've heard social worker friends say this a lot. Maybe it's values, but also even tasks and priorities. They'll say, okay, I went into this profession to help people and I spend most of the time doing paperwork, mm. you know, so that would be mm-hmm. one thing to consider.
2: Another thing. I think if I can just share a bit about what, has been helpful about understanding this trait and how it fits with my current profession and what's been challenging i find that i have an easier time than others empathizing with people and seeing them and so that i think is what drew me into the helping profession in the way that translates in music therapy is i use music as a tool to connect with people in, in therapeutic relationships and so that's the really easy part. And the part that has recently become challenging is that I sort of, I'm, I'm tending to over empathize and, and give too much mm. of myself and not be able to put up boundaries. Mm. So, yeah, it's almost as if, you know, if I could turn the switch on the HSP trait off and go, okay, I, I used it. Today and it was very helpful for me, but now it's. Mm-hmm. I'm home mm-hmm. at. I, I've I've come home from work and, I, I I, need to be able to stop empathizing for that client who's. Uh, yeah, am I am I making sense here? Totally.
3: Yeah. yeah, I was I was gonna say I think the helping professions are something that HSPs can be drawn to, but I also feel like if an HSP hasn't recognized that they have the trait and then of course done the work on learning how to create healthy boundaries for themselves because they'll be different for each as HSP. It's something they, they have to work out for themselves. Right. Then I think things like what you're describing, Andy, that's, that's kind of the stuff that happens where you can't put it down. You, you know, you keep thinking about it or, you keep, um, basically, you're over-identifying with what you're picking up from the person when when you're helping them, right? Yeah. So, you know, to the point where, like you said, you can't turn it off, right? And that's where I think having healthy boundaries allows you know, it, it not only helps you, but it also helps them because, you know, being overly empathetic, then that's in a way that it's not honoring that person's journey because while it may seem to you like, Oh, that would just be so, you know, hard to overcome and you know, all that kind of stuff. Well, that could be something you're not even aware that you're projecting onto them too. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's kind of like honoring it's honoring their journey and where you know the things they need to learn like it may seem like it'd be super difficult to you and you don't know how they do it but it's not necessarily true you know <laughs> mm-hmm. people people can do some amazing things you know
2: a large part of my training was around boundary development and setting appropriate boundaries and i would look at my others in my cohort setting very healthy appropriate boundaries with almost, it seemed like there was no effort involved. And I would go, what, you know, how do you, mm-hmm. how do you do that? This is so challenging for me. And I, now that I can see my past experiences through this HSP lens go, I think that's part of why it was so challenging for me. So good, good idea, Rain. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Cause we, t- you know, we tend to think that, oh, you know, People who don't have the trait, how can they be so unsympathetic or, you know, uncompassionate or not have empathy for this, that, or the other? And that that may be true to an, you know, to a degree, because we do pick up on a lot more in terms of body language and different things like that. But at the same time, I guess it's such a benefit for us in that way, but in another way. There is that added sort of feature that we do have to learn and practice the, you know, setting healthy boundaries and not only for us, but also as a way of honoring the other person and what they want to do and how they want to grow Mm -hmm. and that they're capable of it and, you know, all that kind of thing. Some of that stuff can go back to, you know, how you were raised when your own patterning, right? and not be too much about that person, that that person may be showing you something that's unhealed in yourself. Right. That, you know, which that in itself is a gift. It's like, oh, this is why this is is staying with me, because this is something I haven't addressed. I haven't worked through this. There's more to learn from this for me, Mm -hmm. you know, so so it's not so much about the other person. It's about what you can learn, because that in itself is honoring the other person. Mm. just my thought what do you think Thomas
0: well I can definitely reflect what you're saying in in terms of learning about yourself because I definitely can feel with someone I know I have that empathy in me but boy I have a tough time expressing that empathy on a verbal level on you know connecting And that's something that I realized uh, not too long ago is like, I suck at empathy. Mm -hmm. Well, I suck at expressing empathy. I have it inside me. and, And what I know is when I was growing up, because of my sensitivity, I was so shut down verbally that I didn't create the verbal language around how to express empathy with other people. So there's definitely that understanding of yourself and understanding like, you can be empathetic in your heart and really, really struggle when it comes to verbalizing and expressing and connecting with other people. So that's definitely been a challenge for me in terms of getting to a point where I'm, where I'm comfortable and now understanding more about the HSP trait has really helped me understand where that all comes from.
2: Wow, uh, Thomas, this is not the first time I've had this thought listening to you speak about your past understanding of how the trade has affected you. But I think we we've had similar journeys. I also felt growing up, like I, you know, I had this latent empathy, but until I have really, in the last five years gotten to know myself better and and become more comfortable expressing that empathy. In, in ways outside, you know, it used to be all through music and, and a really insular journey. And, and now mm-hmm. I've grown to, yeah, to be more comfortable expressing that verbally and through other means. So, wow, it, it sounds like we've had a few similar points in our mm-hmm. journey.
1: So it sounds like a major challenge here is, is what we're just talking about is about uh, over empathizing or, or really, not necessarily over empathizing, but how the very strong ability of an HSP to empathize with whatever client or patient they might be helping would just become too much of a burden if you let it go unchecked in the helping profession. So obviously working on how to set up professional boundaries is, is the first sounds like that's the first key takeaway for anybody who wants to be doing this work with the understanding that the message that they might be getting, you know, as a standard, here's how you put boundaries may not be sufficient for them as HSPs or may not speak to the fact that this is going to feel a little unnatural, a little extra unnatural for you. Mm-hmm. What other things come to mind, Andy, when you think of how your sensitivity may be playing out in the work that you're doing?
2: I suppose another way that it plays out is that if I become overstimulated in a session where where I'm supposed to be in the role of you know helping professional, it can be problematic. You know, I can sort of get flooded emotionally, or sometimes it's a, a physical thing if if the space isn't ideal. I work in in many different contexts as a, a a music therapist. So that, that's really, that can be challenging too, is to, and again, I, I'm just coming to terms with my new identity as an HSP. So I'm, I'm doing some of this processing live in this moment. Yeah. That, so yeah, being overstimulated and knowing how to sort of handle that when I'm working with a client. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: I can speak to that a little bit as a teacher, because you do, you have a little bit that similar um, it's not quite as strong, right? Like you really have to stay in that professional role and mode when you've got a client or a patient in front of you, to some degree, you what you should be aiming for as a teacher as well, right? Like one wants to see the teacher having a breakdown in front of them. Ideally <laughs> it's not usually part of my lesson plan. <laughs> so I do. Yeah. And I mean, I've I've definitely had moments of of overwhelm where it's become visible, right? I mean, I guess the, the first thing that you try to learn is how to feel it without showing it or how to, I don't know, how to channel it into something else like sometimes I'll have sometimes I'll like I've developed one reflex is like if I'm finding myself getting agitated or something uh, my reflex is okay ask more questions (laughs) like put it back on the other person like you got to get out of your head you know so so okay start asking a bunch of questions to people in the class or or start asking my student a lot of questions I mean I don't know if that particular technique would be appropriate in in the kind of work that you're doing but you know, having having something that you, you go to that you develop as a reflex for when you are finding yourself getting overwhelmed. I mean, first of all, I think the better you understand your, your triggers, the better you're able to anticipate, oh, okay, I've had to, you know, change office like five times today. That's a little overwhelming for me. So the better you can recognize that, the better you can anticipate it and get yourself ready to not have it like impede your your workflow. I, I think that makes sense.
2: Yeah, that makes sense and and the, you you brought up some really good points that I could see being helpful. I'll maybe try them and and get back to you. But another thing I was thinking as you were talking, Robin, is that sometimes that overstimulation can actually be a helpful tool in the therapeutic alliance and and the therapeutic process. So I'm thinking specifically if if there's music involved in our session, and the music provokes a strong emotional reaction in me, I can sometimes kind of jump on that and and use that emotion to sort of fuel a stronger connection with with the client. And mm-hmm. so again, it's it's this really it's a double-edged sword. Well, mm-hmm. not that expression, but it's it's a, a tool that has two sides to it, where yeah, the overstimulation can be troublesome and can pose some challenges, especially if not dealt with appropriately. But it can also be a fantastic way to forge a deeper connection with clients, where I'm sure that if I didn't have the HSP trait, I wouldn't have that ability to form those strong bonds. So yeah.
0: Coming up, we talk a little bit more about recognizing and managing our own triggers. We'll be right back after this. Our podcast is brought to you by the HSP World Mastery Program, with a mission of inspiring and empowering HSPs so they can use their natural creative abilities to co-create an amazing and hope-filled future. The HSP World Mastery Program uses data-driven, positive tools and methods that support each HSP's growth in a way that's gentle, thoughtful, and caring, with an emphasis on positive impacts and results on HSP's daily lives. You can learn more about the HSP World Mastery Program by visiting hsp.world forward slash mastery. Now let's return to our podcast. I'm wondering also, I mean, depending on the context, if you could also just take some deep breaths. It's something that I do when I get a little bit overstimulated. I'll just sort of close my eyes and take some deep breaths. And again, it all depends on the context.
2: Yeah, I'm doing that right now because uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm quite nervous right now to be on this podcast <laughs> helping me to. <laughs> when, when the three of you are speaking, it gives me some time to collect my Yeah. Mm -hmm. Very
0: good.
1: Yeah. I like what you, what you mentioned Andy about how, um, and again, I think that like this speaks to the importance of knowing your own triggers and you can't tell every time, but the better, you know, your own sources of overstimulation, the better able, you can also tell when it's not coming from you, but when you're actually like absorbing the other person's overstimulation Mm. because sometimes that can happen as well. Right. We may not just be empathizing with what a client or patient expresses They may be, it might just be the level of intensity and emotion and energy that they're throwing at us that we then take on. So actually I do have an example of this where sometimes I'll get a new uh, student and they'll be very impatient, like, okay, I have to like in two weeks, I have to be so much better at, uh, at this thing, right? And when I was starting out, I would, and it still sometimes happens. I'll get wrapped up in their impatience and I'm like, okay, you, oh my gosh, I have to do this and I have to get this ready for them. And I have to, nah, 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 nah. and I'll just get carried along and wrapped up in their impatience um, or really or whatever mo- emotion it is. But this one stands out for me and it's really helpful to step back and say, okay, hold on. You know, is this my impatience or their impatience? And if it's their impatience, is it really serving us? And they've actually been many times where their impatience was something we had to talk about. (laughs) It was something I had to coach them on and say, Hold on, why do you have all these beliefs about learning? Hmm. Why why do you believe this impossible thing? Like, where is this coming from? Right. And so being able to turn that experience back on and make it make it a teachable moment that is one of the keys to helping clients move forward and i think it does join up with something that rain was saying where you know you have to recognize in yourself what the client patient might be triggering in you and i think often clients and patients can trigger my own impatience and i'm like yes yes they must they must learn a language in one <laughs> month of course right and then I have to stop for a second and think, wait, what, uh-huh. what am yeah. I, how did, how did they, how do they trick me into that? No. Okay. Let, let's get back to being reasonable. So hmm. yeah, it, it can be helpful to ask yourself. Well, I mean, it's always a good question to ask yourself, like, where is this, where is this overwhelming stress coming from? Is it me or is it someone else? Mm-hmm. And if it's in the moment and from the patient or client, how can I bring that? How can I bring it out, highlight it and,
3: and help them with that?
2: Right. Yeah. That, that sounds like a great strategy.
3: You know, something that's coming to my mind right now is I found this in myself and I've, I've noticed it in other HSPs as well, is that we sometimes uh, forget that our only job is not, you know, for that other person. That's not, that's not our reason for living yeah, you know it's one of them but it's it's not the only one and i think it's really important for hsp's to reach out for help themselves you know when they need to like if they are in a helping profession and they notice that certain feelings are coming up or they're you know there's just there's just something they're they're not figuring out you know how, how do I how do I you know how do I overcome this how do I figure this out what's really going on here I think it's really important when you need help to go out there and get it for yourself because I know a lot of people in the helping professions they, they end up getting burnt out and we're jaded or all these different things that, that are not ideal, you know, you want to enjoy what you're doing and you want it to continue to be a great experience for yourself and others. And I think that's going to include at times that, you know, we recognize when we ourselves are coming up against a wall and we need help with something and we, you know, we go and we get that help for ourselves because we also need to be supported. I mean, how many times have you heard that you know psychiatrists have psychiatrists?
2: You know, it's mm-hmm. just, yeah. <laughs> yeah.
3: You, know you just uh, you know it's it's sort of part of the deal. You know, you do need right. a place and a space and to create that and to allow that and to know that it's one hundred percent okay for yourself. You know, for your own for your own well being going forward because there's you know. It's in, life is is interesting you know it's interesting because when you come up against one thing it's and then you figure out you know with help oh okay this is how this is how to do this and then you start practicing it and then it you notice oh that made a world of difference and then some time will go by and something else will pop up because mm. you'll you'll then be ready to see it it will then be ready to to show mm. itself to you so that you can then go oh okay, that's the next thing I'm going to, you know, overcome or Mm -hmm. learn about or, you know, that kind of thing.
2: I think the value of having professional supervision is really important for HSPs in helping professions. It's important Mm -hmm. for all helping professionals, as you mentioned, all many psychiatrists need psychiatry. And Mm -hmm. so I've, when I look back on past roles I've had where I can now deduce that my supervisor or people in my peer supervision network, maybe they didn't sense my that I was a highly sensitive person, but they acted, they provided supervision and support in a way that, yeah, that was conducive to my having that trait. Those were the really effective supervisors I had. And when I think about the ones who bulldozed over me, those were were not helpful and I didn't thrive in those roles. It took months, if not years, to sort of find my stride in those roles. Mm -hmm. I'm now in a a role where my supervisor and, and peer support networks are really supportive of what I need. I haven't told them about the trait, but I just feel really like they're sort of, intuitively know how to give supervision Mm -hmm. to some sensitive person like myself so if there are any hsps entering or in the helping profession yeah i'll underline what has already been said here so important to have adequate supervision even more so than uh non-highly sensitives Mm my
3: understanding
1: too correct me if i if i'm misinformed here but my understanding is that there's professions in particular where there are widespread systemic pressures that you know you might be very lucky to get good support and supervision but more likely that will not be there I hear from social workers and nurses in particular I'm thinking at least where I live where often it, the conditions are just ripe for burnout. And I guess I'm just mm-hmm. saying this to to underscore the point that, you know, I think a lot of what we're talking about now is focused at the individual level, but it just mm-hmm. do tend to hyper-responsibilize, you could say, to be over-responsible. If you continue to see that as your own failing and shortcoming, you're missing out on the fact mm-hmm. that there maybe just really isn't enough support for you period and it's not your particular supervisor it's just this this is how things are working right now in the system i don't know does that sound
3: possible yeah that 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 sounds right to me robin and and i think what i was sort of suggesting was that you you know you You'll basically need to find your own support, whether that be in the work environment you are in or going externally and finding it, you know, whether it be Mm -hmm. a, a therapist that's aware of the HSP trait and understands what it is, could be a coach, you know, that kind of thing. But then also too, you know, some of, some of the things like say for nursing, I mean, it could be instead of working a 40-hour week, sometimes it's a matter of, you know, recognizing where your own, what what's healthy for you. So a 40-hour week may not be healthy for you. Maybe a 25-hour a week is what's going to be healthy for you if you're in a helping profession. Yeah. I know there are some HSP therapists that they won't take on any more than, say, 10 clients at a time.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Because it's just, there's just no way they'll burn out. It's too much, you know, and they've they've recognized what their own limits are for their own sanity and health and well-being, you know. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, we, we aren't like the majority of the population. Our nervous system is highly developed. So we do pick up on more and we do need more downtime, you know, to process and stuff like that. So, you know, having being okay with developing different expectations for yourself than what the non-HSP population standard is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah.
2: That does make make a lot of sense. So another thing I just thought is that sometimes I'll be working with a client and I will detect the HSP trait in the client and very rarely uh, if it seems like the client is ready to hear it and and is uh gonna be receptive of hearing about the trait, I will bring it up and every time i've I've mentioned it uh it's been well received. actually, I recommended this podcast to one client <laughs> who <laughs> he he didn't listen to it right away, but when he did, he came back to our session and and said wow i I checked out the podcast and really helpful and so, yeah, that's been an interesting thing is that knowing about this trait can sometimes be itself a powerful tool to to help clients, just bringing up the trait and letting them kind of roll with that.
0: Th- that's so great to hear. And and I what I'm also hearing from you is, is that sometimes you have to be careful about, you know, when you might say something.
2: Yeah, I mean... I think there are times when bringing the trait in when the client is is maybe dealing with other more pressing issues or they're just not ready to to hear that. I mean speaking personally it was it was a lot to process kind of re conceptualizing my life through this mm-hmm. trait. When, when you
3: when you found out, hey Andy? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
2: when well actually I brought it up to my own personal therapist and she said, wow, you know, I was actually just going to mention that I had been Mm -hmm. thinking it for a while. (laughs) And now that you say it, it makes so much sense. And, you know, I'm, I'm so happy for you that you've, you found this because I work with a few other HSB clients. And once they know that that's something that they can help understand their life with, that can be remarkably helpful. Yeah,
1: I'm. I'm really glad you mentioned this because you know we've been talking about some of the the challenges for an HSP in a helping profession, but this is one of the huge strengths and assets that they bring to the role. Because I know I, speaking as an HSP, anytime I have a doctor or a therapist or a coach or a teacher or a, you know, anybody who's helping me with something, even a dietitian, <laughs> you know. It, It doesn't necessarily have to be mental health, but like in any kind of person who's helping um, when they understand, even if they're not HSPs, but especially if they're HSPs who understand their sensitivity, if they see it in me and know how to adapt, like it just makes a world of difference.
2: Right. Mm,
3: absolutely thank you so much for for mentioning the podcast too andy it's nice to know <laughs> yeah. that um, yeah that it was a, that it was a cool tool for cool tool for someone to you know to introduce them to the trait
2: yeah yeah i'm just we, passing the torch
3: yeah
0: well andy thank you for today's conversation i'm wondering if there were some points that resonated with you
2: so many points resonated mm-hmm. um I think <laughs> well, since it's fresh in my head, this idea of h s b s needing more supervision, I think that's something that until now I had yeah, I maybe had some qualms about oh, why do I need more supervision and more time off, and now I'm reframing it as well no that's that's a it's a good thing that I can recognize mm-hmm. what supports and time off I need to be able to thrive. Yeah, the whole conversation. I, I I can't wait to actually go back and listen to it in podcast form. <laughs>
1: <laughs> if I can just add something to that point, just in case any supervisors are listening and getting the wrong idea. It's not that HSPs are, you know, this, this greater use of resources in your time, right? You have to put it in that context, too, that a little bit goes a long way. And mm-hmm. a lot goes a very, very long way.
0: Yeah, right? yeah, it um, sure does
1: there's that there's that mm-hmm. quote in the highly sensitive documentary where they had surveyed just some employers about their employees to ask you know how how would you rate different people and the ones who identified as highly sensitive were rated as some of the most competent in that workplace they were also the ones who were the least satisfied with their job so i think one of the ingredients that can help keep HSBs healthy and and functional and happy, but also really productive and valuable is appropriate support and supervision.
2: Also, if my former supervisor is listening, I (laughs) apologize for referring to you as a bulldozer.
0: (laughs) 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 Well, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. This was a great conversation.
2: (laughs) Thanks for having me.
3: Thanks,
1: Andy. Yeah. Thanks, Andy. And to all of our listeners, of course. So please join us for our next episode, where we'll be having another interesting HSP conversation. And to any highly sensitives out there who have a burning HSP-related question, big or small, we invite you to ask it on the HSP World podcast. Just email info at hsp.world.
0: Our thanks to the HSP World Mastery Program and to all of you who support our show by subscribing and listening to our podcast, reading the blog post on our website at hsp.world, and chatting with us on our social media channels. Your support is contributing to the upliftment of HSPs around the world. We're very grateful.